0: Welcome to That Happy Podcast. I am Dave. And I'm Steve. And we're really honoured to have you here. Thank you for your time and brace yourself. This is a wonderful episode where we really delve into the kind of fundamentals. If you have a desire to eat healthier, if you have a desire to eat more plant-based for the environment, for the animals, for your health, for the future of your children, this is an epic episode. Essentially, it's about how to thrive while eating a plant-based or plant-predominant diet with nutritionist, Dr. R- R- Rohini Bajekal. Um, she's amazing. She's a dear friend. We love her dearly. Um, she is co-author of a book called Living PCOS Free. She's a trained nutritionist who's a board-certified lifestyle medicine professional. Um, and she's, she's just a font of knowledge. Both her parents are doctors. And so she's really come from this background. She is super passionate about nutritional science and she's been eating a plant-based diet for more than 20 years. So she's she's got incredible detail and data. And, and we cover really interesting topics such as one, how she came to eat a plant-based diet. Um, going through a period of her life where she was nutritionally deficient, she was struggling, she was isolated. How to address iron, calcium issues, talking about the optimum diet, talking about supplements. We cover a huge breath of issues uh, but ultimately it's a wonderful conversation to inspire to eat more plant-based and to live a healthier life yeah yeah absolutely So we got to spend time with Rohini She came over with her mother The wonderful Dr. Nitu Bajekal Who's a senior consultant gynecologist And we recorded a course called Our Happy Menopause Course Which we created Because we consistently found Women saying I'd love to know more about menopause And have recipes and a food plan To help me with my symptoms of menopause So we got in touch with uh, Dr. Nitu Bajekal Who's Rohini's mom And Rohini herself And we created a course called Happy Menopause Course It's on our app And it's all about supporting women at adopting more plant-based practices and healthy lifestyle practices that support them and help them thrive and flourish through this period. It's a four-week course. If you have any interest in checking out the Happy Menopause course, you'll find full details on our website, thehappyparent.ie. Without further ado, we give you the wonderful Rohini Bajekal. Okay, I I think we got to start at the start because you've got a really nice backstory, like you really do in terms of your journey into plant-based because it's very relatable and it's it's just a lovely story. So I'd love, I'm sure you've told it plenty of times, but I'd love to hear your journey into plant-based.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, so I am—I um, guess really, it started when I was kind of a mere teenager. So over 20 years ago, when my sister decided that she wasn't gonna eat animals anymore. she We'd got a dog at the time, not the dogs we had now, but we got a dog, he actually lived to Santee. And she started to make the connection that, oh, you know it's really strange that we eat pigs because we have a dog and pigs are really intelligent and loving. And so she decided she didn't want to eat meat anymore. And um, my mum and I decided to join her because it made perfect sense. And then a couple of years later, she sort of did some digging about the dairy industry and then decided she was going to go vegan. And this was a time, because I know you guys kind of went vegan at a similar time where people just did not know what the word vegan was. It was Really esoteric and out there. So, we were literally the only, probably the only brown vegans in the village. No one else that we came across with vegan look like us. We barely came, I mean, we never came across anyone who was vegan in the first place. We had to go to special stores or supermarkets to get even a carton of soy milk. It was a really different time. So, that was kind of my teenage years. And, you know, at school, they were always really upset that my sister and I were vegan. They would, um, every year, they would kind of measure us and do all these weird assessments just for all the girls there. And and my sister and I would always come out as being the healthiest, the tallest, and then the, the teachers would be really gutted. And so um, yeah, there was no kind of growth problems or anything like that. I think there's still that misconception that plant-based diets are not healthy for kids. And but yeah, so I was kind of a bit unhealthy teenager and I grew up eating mostly home cooked food there wasn't really the opportunity to have that much ultra-processed food that was vegan. There was some accidentally vegan foods that I knew about, but I was really eating home-cooked food and ribings. That was lots of whole grains, fruit, vegetables, beans, nuts, and seeds. It was only when I got into university that I really started to struggle. and I think so many people can relate to that of leaving home, whether they go to university or not, but leaving home for the first time, not having cooking skills, and then really struggling with that health. So I was still vegan, but I ended up eating kind of a really unbalanced diet. So I was living off of chips, loads of alcohol and kind of, yeah, just anything I could get my hands on that happened to be vegan, but was deep fried. So maybe samosas, um, kind of caramel, soya, lattes, kind of not very nutritious foods. And I really started to struggle with my health. So I firstly noticed that I was gaining some weight, but I was getting a lot of acne all over my face. I was losing chunks of hair and I got seriously anxious. Wow. This is I mean, this is
0: early 20s at college. Yeah.
1: So I was 19 maybe at the time and I really struggled. It was hard to kind of leave my room at university at times. Sometimes I would stay in my bedroom, which was the size of a closet for a couple of days, um, you know, small student rooms. And I would, would not be able to leave because I'd get all this anxiety and, and intrusive thoughts. And sometimes it was difficult because you couldn't even eat a meal without someone questioning your choices. You wouldn't be left alone. You'd be like, "Why are you eating that? That's so weird. Why aren't you having this? You know, what are you doing?" So I think that I found it quite difficult. And um, by the end of my time at university, sort of when I was leaving, I really struggled with veganism, which I'd adopted initially for you know just purely ethical reasons. And I'm still to this day I, I consider myself an ethical vegan, but I really struggled without community. I didn't have any a single friend that was vegan. Um, I felt like I was being mocked or laughed at all the time. And it, there was very little awareness about this lifestyle. So I ended up eating some kind of dairy and other things out of the ha- whenever I went out of my own house. I never bought leather or bought animal products in my own house, but I really struggled socially. And I always say this to people because there was a while where I felt very ashamed of this and um, sort of I mean, reality that I had I kind of knew exactly what the meat and dairy industries were like, but I just couldn't stick with the lifestyle. And I think so many people do feel um, really judged if they make uh, make changes. And it was only kind of through a later, come some uh, having more self acceptance and having more community around it, that I was able to kind of reconnect with those vegan values and and ultimately kind of improve my health. But I think all that self judgment and blame it was just the sort of this vicious cycle. But I always share that because I think whatever your journey is to going plant-based or vegan, it doesn't have to be perfectly linear. I think people assume that it's just going to start and it's going to end. And I think some people who do that are amazing and really strong, but this was also, yeah, a very different time, you know, that and 17, 18 years ago. so very, very different world that we were living
0: in. Wow. And even at university, often university is a time when people are most open to new ideas. They're most, you know, it's a time of experimentation, of rebellion, of, you know, finding your place in the world. And I'm surprised that there weren't more people that were interested in plant-based back then, even though when I reflect on my university days 20 years ago, I didn't know a vegetarian, not to mind a vegan. But uh, I was maybe
1: so gutted. I was honestly so gutted because when I went up to uni, they said this was Oxford University, and I thought, okay, there's going to be lots of people who are intellectually curious. They're going to be questioning things, and they're not just going to accept things the way they are. My first day there was a hog roast with a giant pig, you know, be just rotating in someone's garden, and then the next day was greyhound racing. Two things that I could not take part in whatsoever, and I just thought, I don't fit in at all. And um, and it was really it was really challenging. So you know, anyone who's out there who feels like they've made a decision that's different to their immediate circle, their family, or their friends, or the society that we live in, because obviously, unfortunately, being vegan or being fully plant based is not the norm, then um, just know that I wish like I could have talked to myself back then and given myself some more strength. But I I did really struggle with that, and I think gaining more confidence in my twenties and. Understanding a bit more. Um, and it's so much easier with kind of things on the internet and more documentaries and more awareness because people around you then start to understand a bit more and they weren't sort of thinking that, yeah, you are a complete weirdo. Um, right now, I, I have to say, I don't really care what people think in the same way I did back then. But I think when you're 18, 19, you're just in a much more vulnerable place. And, and it can be really difficult to go against the
0: grain. Totally agree. agree. Well, can I, uh, I just, I'd love to to go and like, what led you into nutrition? Because like, you know, obviously when you go plant-based, like it kind of drove us like going plant-based drove us to become chefs because no one could cook for us and you had to learn. And that kind of indirectly led us to that. Like what led you into nutrition? Was it a curiosity about, you know, health and food and, or was it almost vindicating your own choices against what society was, you know, lots of people were saying to you? justifying. Justifying, yeah, I think so, yeah. (laughs) Vindicating is a good word, though. Good
1: word, isn't it, yeah. Wow is a good word. And So I think I, well, I firstly started off my career in the marketing industry. Some of the big brands that I was doing marketing for, like Lindt Chocolate and Heineken, were things I just did not believe in. Um, And I always struggled with that, because as you know, you know both my parents, and my mum's been on the podcast before, they're both NHS doctors, and they'd always dedicated their life to helping other people. They'd always been really passionate, that that was their mission, you know, to be um, healers and to kind of help other people. And that's something that they're they're really, really passionate about. And they always said to my sister and I, we want you to do something you're passionate about and that you love. But I did spend my early 20s feeling quite lost and not really knowing what to do. And it was when I kind of, I kind of had this moment where I was like, I'm just coasting in my life. I'm not really progressing. I'm not really growing and I need to do something different. I need to shake things up. And I ended up seeing an advert in the Times of India. It it wasn't an advert, it was a short story about this new company that had launched in Mumbai. It was all about cold pressed juice, which was a big trend back then in sort of 2014, 2015. So I saw that and they were trying to build the first healthy food and beverage company in Mumbai. And I remember sending a message to the CEO on Twitter and I got the job that way. I was really persistent. I had gone out to India for a family wedding and I badgered him until he met me for coffee. And then he said, "Okay, you've got the job as VP of marketing." Wow, so that good, good job! <laughs> so I moved to Mumbai. I just packed up my, you know, the flat And I you speak Hindi? No, and that was a big problem. But wow. people, it's a real hot hot of kind of different cultures, and most people actually speak English and and all other Indian languages. And so it was really difficult because every time I tried to practice my Hindi, they would reply in English as soon as they heard my accent coming through. (laughs) Um, So that wasn't the best place to learn Hindi. But um, yeah, Mumbai is an amazing, really cosmopolitan, really diverse city. And, And I did have some extended family there that I was living on my own. And it completely changed my life pretty much overnight because I was working for this healthy food and beverage company. And I started to my lifestyle just changed in a flash. I'd gone from kind of um, late night, client events, binge drinking in central London, uh, late nights, eating out fancy dinners in Soho after work, to actually eating a whole food plant-based diet in India. Because I was eating fresh fruits from the market for the first time in my life, because since since I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I loved fruit. But somehow when I got into my early 20s, I was scared that fruit had too much sugar, which I know is Ludicrous now that I'm a nutritionist, helping so many people to kind of get rid of these food fears. But when I was in Mumbai, I started to eat all these amazing fruits like mangoes and fire and, you know, make guava and all these amazing fruits. And um, I started to eat the food that I'd always grown up with, like dal and millet chapatis and all these like local foods that happen to be whole food plant based. And I think there's this misconception that you need to just eat quinoa salad if you're plant based. You can actually be. Plant-based, and adapt all your cultural foods to being plant-based. In fact, most of these cultures around the world are predominantly plant-based. Whether you look in India, Ethiopia, Vietnam, you know, all of these cultures have a lot of plant-based foods and have prioritised flavours and herbs and spices. And so, I because I'd given up the alcohol and that kind of the culture that we have in the UK of binge drinking and pubs and late nights, I started to sleep better. I had more energy. I felt like I just had more of a connection with other people because I wasn't living in my own head with anxiety when I was drinking. And I know both of you have talked a lot about sobriety and kind of giving up alcohol and things. I feel very passionately about that as well. And um, but yeah, it was my life changed. I I then met my now husband who I've been with for eight years and at a holy party where we threw colours all over each other. So it kind of started this whole new chapter of my life where I a lot of the anxiety that I'd lived with for so long started to wane. I started to really accept myself and return back to those plant-based ways of eating and obviously connect with veganism as an ethical framework as well. And During that time, I started to notice some quite worrying things. Because I was head of marketing for this F&B brand, I noticed that a lot of people were obsessed with doing juice cleansers where they would just drink nothing but juice for a few days. But they were coming to it from a very unhealthy diet. So obviously in India, the traditional diet is really healthy, but people have moved away from that just like they have in all other parts of the world pretty much and were eating loads of ultra-processed foods like deep-fried bhajiya, samosas, and but also the pizza, the burgers, the hot dogs, everything that you see in the Western world. So it was the worst kind of two worlds. People were coming from eating those foods straight after an indulgent wedding into a juice cleanse and actually it was really quite worrying to see some of the effects of that because you can't go into these things extreme and and i realized i just did not feel comfortable marketing these this product i didn't feel good about it i actually wanted to be educating people about healthy eating because i had not by kind of going on a diet not by deciding i was going to do some kind of fad but by changing my environment, my whole lifestyle, my diet had changed so much and I was seeing all the benefits. For this first time ever, my periods became regular, my skin cleared up, I had way more energy. I just did not have that anxiety anymore that I, yeah, like I said, was so pervasive throughout my um kind of early twenties. So that that inspired me to come back to university, do my masters in nutrition food science, and then set up my own practice and work to kind of help other people in that position. And I work with hundreds of women, men, people of all genders really who want to improve their health. And the first thing is to understand the science, understand things, but also give them the tools that behavioral change is such an important piece because you can know everything, but sometimes just not know where to start. And I was like that. I would go through these phases when I was kind of 21 or so, where I would um, try and hit the gym and then have... Kind of a healthy protein bar. What I thought was healthy, obviously it wasn't really what what I now consider to be really nourishing or healthy. And But I would try these things and they would never really work. And I think so many people have that. They have good intentions, but they just come
0: unstuck. My kids recently became obsessed with different flavors for their water and they started trading them. And Theo, like obviously being Theo, wanted the cola one because he's never allowed to have it at home. But it's, I, I subsequently found out it's this really cool water bottle called Air Up and what it does is it uses scent based technology so whereby it's a water bottle and all you put in is water and you put a flavor pot on top and you activate it when you activate it when you drink the water there's a scent comes in with the water goes up to the back of your nose known as your retronasal cavity um, and you actually taste so like he's drinking water that tastes of cherry cola. And I'm like, that is amazing. So what it does is it helps reduce single-use plastic. You're not having to add sugar to get kind of more flavoured water. Uh, And it's reusable, which is brilliant. I'm a big fan of Air Up. Like, it really is a way to innovate water bottles. You simply activate the pod and drink. And just the total experience has changed. I've bought them for my daughters and for my mother, We've partnered with him to help you drink more water. There's a 10% discount with the code HAPPY10 or there's an affiliate link in our show notes to just click that. So air up to help you drink more water. One thing that really rings through to me is the importance of community. When you were at college, you were isolated and on your own and found it hard to live your values. And also because the environment was probably a lot of alcohol, a lot of fast food, you became a product of that environment. And then when you moved to Mumbai, where the environment was, you know, less alcohol-fused, less binge drinking, eating whole foods, suddenly you became a product of that environment. And I think that's the key bit with lifestyle change, is that we all become the product of that we're around. And I'm sure you find that time and time again with your clients. Totally.
1: You get the nail on the head. So that is lifestyle medicine in action. And lifestyle medicine is I know you had lots of other people on who talked about lifestyle medicine. You're both champions of that and everything you do on the app and with all your projects and everything. But lifestyle medicine is one of the fastest growing emerging areas of modern medicine. It actually works side by side with allopathic or Western medicine. And it involves the use of kind of six pillars. And these are evidence-based interventions that are shown to dramatically improve our health. And we know that Changing our lifestyles can hugely uh, reduce our risk of the most common chronic diseases that is responsible for about 80% of deaths in the Western world. So those are diseases or conditions like type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, certain cancers. And lifestyle medicine, these six pillars are things that I discuss with every single one of my clients. So the six pillars are set out in the guidelines are one sort of healthy plant-predominant diet so notice i say plant-predominant yeah. obviously plant inclusive is we know that you can absolutely thrive at every stage of your life but we know that for many people being plant-predominant is what they see as more achievable more accessible it means that having at least kind of roughly i'd say 85 percent of your diet are coming from poor plant foods and sleep so getting from
0: um, um, rahini just just for anyone death. listening go going plant Food, does that mean I'm eating daffodils and dandelions and I'm eating, <laughs> you know, burdock root, like plant based? If you can just map it out, just for anyone who happens to have that yeah, question so on their mind,
1: eat, you don't have to eat rabbit food, you can eat whole. So, the really, there's the foods include things like whole grains, like quinoa, brown rice, barley, those sorts of things, fruit. And we're talking about whole fruit that comes wrapped with fiber, minerals, vitamins, antioxidants, phytochemicals vegetables. So there's a bit starchy and non-starchy vegetables. Beans, they're the cornerstone of healthy living societies. So we want to be eating things like tofu and you know, soya is fantastic for health. You know that the whole Bajaco family is absolutely, um, wax is lyrical about soya, <laughs> but all kinds of beans and pulses like um, peas and lentils and things come under that kind of beans, legumes category. And then nuts and seeds. So we want to have some nuts and seeds for those healthy unsaturated fats and I'm a big fan of the kind of walnuts, hemp seeds, flax, chia because they're super rich in omega-3 fatty acids called alpha linolenic acid. And then herbs and spices, they're not their own food group, but they're, they're actually the most antioxidant rich of any food category. So you want to be really liberal with your herbs and spices and then having water as the beverage of choice. So those are that's sort of what comprises a whole food plant-based diet. Now. When you're having a slice of birthday cake once in a while or a piece of chicken, that's your prerogative, your decision, but we know we know that a plant-based diet is either fully or certainly tending towards mostly predominantly comprising of these foods. It's the healthiest?
0: Yeah, you're you're articulate. You're really articulate, and it's beautiful to hear you speak. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, you it. were going through the lifestyle pillars before Stephen uh, asked you to ask you clarify something, and you had food. This food, like uh, like I would guess, and now it's probably food. Yeah,
1: that means food, sleep, and stress management, movement, avoidance of risky substances. So that's you know really avoiding tobacco, and then really limiting alcohol or avoiding it completely if you're like. You guys, or like me, and um, and then lastly, is positive social relationships. So that's fostering community and positive relationships. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It can be friend, neighbor, family member, companion, animal. But you know, fostering those positive relationships and having that community, which is one that gets so often neglected. And, but all six pillars are really key. And when one kind of tumbles down, the others tend to come crashing as well. If you've had a really bad night's sleep, you're more likely to dip your hand in the cookie jar. And, you know, similarly with the other things as well, if you are sitting down all day, you're less likely to have a good night's sleep. So it's a sort of, I don't actually say vicious cycle because that's the negative, but we call it the dominant effect. And that's why when you strengthen one, you tend to strengthen the other. A lot of people tend to go really all in on certain things. And I think I'm guilty of that as a nutritionist, Like I went through phases of going, okay, I'm going to eat really whole food plant-based, but then I wasn't necessarily spending as much time with friends and family. And sometimes maybe eating that meal out and having some more processed foods in that meal is actually going to be a chance to connect, to love, to be free, to release some mental stress rather than batch cooking every single meal at home so you've got to you know look at the whole picture and that's something i'm all about that progress not perfection and i think so many of us get tied up in that and you do see people who are kind of pro athletes who are super fit and healthy who are absolutely nailing it on the movement front but maybe they're neglecting their diet and then they're seeing the negative impact of that so
0: you you have to look at the whole picture it's very yeah, like that. That I love that expression: progress over perfection. I think it's just it's a great metaphor for life. I think think like food, it works so well, but so many aspects of life, it's like progress. Just move forward. Don't go for perfect.
1: totally so, yeah, I think many of us, and you know, I work with a lot of women in particular. We can have this black and white thinking of, okay, I had a slice of cake, might as well eat the whole thing, you know diet's ruined. It's it's all over for me. Might as well go all in. I think sometimes people have that. They've watched a couple of episodes of TV and it's one episode more than they were planning to. And they're, I'll just binge the whole box that, you know, whereas actually it's, And when you kind of improve your relationship with food and generally with yourself, you don't have that sort of black and white negative thinking. And that's actually, that lends to a lot better results. We know that people who are very hard on themselves in that way, that actually leads to kind of lower uptake of these lifestyle interventions. So positive self-esteem and improving that is, is really important. And I think it starts with the way you speak to ourselves, because I was very kind to other people, but very hard on myself. So I've definitely started to change that kind of inner voice. And I think a lot of people do struggle with that. And when you start to kind of change that, that has a positive effect on not just yourself, but you know, your family, people around you, anyone you come into contact with, that people can be really hard on themselves when it comes to making those lifestyle changes. And it's easier for some than others. I grew up eating a lot of salad, a lot of fruits and vegetables. So I naturally love those foods. For me, my my palate is always gravitating towards those foods. Not all of the time, but you know I, I enjoy those. I know both of you are very energetic. You've always been really active, but someone else might find that really challenging if they didn't grow up being as active. And so everyone has a pillar that they are stronger at or pillars that they're stronger at and other things that they need to
0: be more mindful of. Yeah very very true Um, I'd love to I'd love to camp into like as you said like you 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 help a lot of women with their health and I'd love to camp and focus a little bit onto that because I think it's it's women's health or people who identify as women. It tends to be more complex than men's health just because there's more hormones and it's a slightly different system. And particularly with menstrual cycles and all this, I'd love to go into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Brilliant. Brilliant. yeah. Absolutely. So, 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 okay. So, first place to start, maybe can we start with calcium and bones and then move on to iron because I think those are two that like every woman. It's like. It's just really important. I remember hearing that the majority of m- many women are actually low in iron due to um menstruation, or many can be. Is that
1: yeah, so iron is actually the most common nutritional deficiency globally and it affects all people of all genders, not just women, that it is the you know, the number one nutritional deficiency. So it's something everyone should be aware of. And yes, people who menstruate are at risk so if you've got really heavy periods, you've got a condition like endometriosis or something where you might have heavier periods then you do need to get that checked out and if you're not on hormonal birth control or anything like that so definitely firstly see your gynecologist someone like my mum, she'll sort you out um but you know that it's still really key to make sure that you're getting enough iron through your diet and i actually just wrote a whole kind of fact sheet about iron. And so this is kind of one of my areas that I'm really passionate about. But a lot of people just think, oh, I'll pop an iron supplement and that's fine. But actually higher doses of iron can be detrimental if you don't need it. The body is very good at regulating this sort of thing. So you want to be really optimizing iron as much as possible through your diet. And there's a lot of just simple hacks that I give my clients. So simple things like make sure that you're having your iron with vitamin C rich foods. Put into um, practice. What does that look like? So oats are a decent source of iron. Combine them with a vitamin C rich food like some kiwi or some berries on top, and that's going to help you get more iron, absorb more iron from the food that you're eating. And things like a lentil dal, put some lemon juice on top, or a handful of coriander, which is bursting with vitamin C, so that you get more of the iron from the dal. And if you're feeding little children who might be a little bit fussy. Maybe you give them a little bit of orange juice with a meal, so that they're getting a little bit more and um, like improving iron absorption because iron is also really important in the early years of life. It's important, and you know, at all stages of life, but particularly then. And it's it plays a, has a variety of different functions in our body, including kind of and um, yeah, production of healthy red blood cells and our immune function and everything. And another thing is a lot of people drink tea and coffee with meals. That is really not great because those are iron feeds. The channels, the pigment kind of in tea actually inhibits the absorption of iron. So leave your tea and coffee for a couple of hours outside of the meal. And um, also avoid things like taking calcium supplements with iron supplements because they compete with each other. So you don't want to be doing that. And dark chocolate as well. Dark chocolate don't and dark chocolate contains a little bit of iron, but you don't want to be having too much um kind of, yeah, Tea, coffee, red wine, all of cocoa, all of that stuff with iron-rich or calcium-rich meals. That's sort of my my number one tip. Just those simple tips can make a huge difference to people. And then plant-based foods are packed with non-heme iron. So they are it is a little bit less bioavailable than heme iron, which is obviously found in things like red meat. But you can get all the iron you need from plant foods. And some of my favorite sources are whole grains like oats, quinoa. And uh, nuts, especially kind of cashew nuts, and and uh, kind of seeds, they're all really rich sources. Dark leafy greens, like low oxalate greens, like your kale and and uh, cooked spinach, there those are great sources. And dried fruit as well, like raisins and dates and, and prunes and things like that. So yeah, make sure that you're just eating a variety of foods and beans. Tofu is an amazing source as well, and I love like and. Um, a kind of uh, kidney beans and things like that for getting iron in. So that
0: those are just simple tips for people who are struggling with iron in Really, really yeah. good. Really good. Uh, I'm wondering there in terms of like, is it like, because you know the way, like there's heme iron and non-heme iron and heme iron is your animal-based foods and non-heme iron is plant-based foods. And I wonder like, is it like, because if you go to the doctor and you're, anemic or you're suffering with low iron levels, you'll probably be told to, you, you possibly, depending on who you go to, you, but you're probably quite likely to told to, you know, take an iron supplement and probably up your intake of red meat or, you know, the liver or something or, like. or that type of stuff that's going to have blood. And, you know, that's kind of what we associate in our heads. And I just wonder, like, in terms of your perspective as a nutritionist, um, like plant-based versus you know, a herb like an animal bait or a omnivore, um, which which is better iron absorption? Like, is it because, like, obviously, in heme iron, which is the animal-based one, you're probably getting, you know, the cost is saturated fat and more cholesterol, and you know, less fiber. Whereas on the non-heme iron, you like which tends to be a net better path to to recover from anemia or for iron and for general health as well.
1: So you know what I'm going to say. And, well, our body is incredibly clever. That's my answer. So when we do know that when you look at the totality of evidence, vegetarians, well, particularly vegans, actually, whole, whole food plant-based eaters or plant-based eaters are no more likely to have iron deficiency than omnivores. However, they tend to have lower ferritin stores. So that also can get measured when you're at your GP, but that has not been shown to translate kind of and uh, higher rates of anemia. So just having lower ferritin stores itself isn't a force of concern depending on the level. Again, this is not individual medical advice. You need to get that, get, get that checked. However, the really interesting thing about all of this is that we know that actually absorption from the very same foods increases uh, when you have like slightly lower ferritin levels. So we know that even, for example, when women are pregnant, they actually absorb more iron from the very same food that they're eating than they did before they were pregnant. And it's the same for kind of vegetarians and vegans. The body kind of adjusts to the increased demand for iron. So eating a variety of these foods, making sure you're concentrating on iron-rich foods at most meals, particularly if you have a history of being kind of lower in iron, is my number one tip. Yes, you may need a supplement and they need to also screen for other pot- potential causes. There can be things like celiac disease where you cannot eat gluten and it can be sometimes that iron deficiency anemia can be caused by things like gastrointestinal bleeding or polyps or um, you know any anything like that. Eating disorders. There can be lots of different reasons why someone might suffer. And Obviously, we already talked about heavy menstrual periods. but there's and um, yeah, you you don't need to eat red meat. And in fact, that's quite a reductive argument, and it's not backed up by any of the major nutrition and dietetic organisations. When you look at the British Dietetic Organisation or The American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they're all very clear that a plant based diet can support healthy life right from conception until old age, until older age. So, and there's no reason to go and eat that steak. And in fact, that's really outdated advice. Remember that most doctors, unfortunately, are not taught about nutrition in medical school. So, I would urge you to go and see a qualified nutrition professional. You don't need to give up your plant based diet if you've been diagnosed with this. And it's not necessarily to just to do with your diet but yeah having paying a little bit more attention to those foods can be helpful i hope that kind of helps yeah it's really interesting uh,
0: can i two other things on the topic of iron um i remember a friend spent time out working in africa and she often said that when they were cooking dinner like a stew they'd put a little bit of an iron bar in the pot to help with iron absorption i just wonder is there is there any research back in this. And similarly, if cooking, if someone can use a cast iron pot, there's going to be more in iron absorption than not yeah, cooking. that's
1: actually something that people do in India as well. Like, so you can cook in a cast iron pot. There's this thing called iron fish where you can add that in. You know, I have never had a problem with my iron levels. Just helping. Obviously, this is N equals one. I'm just one person. But because I do believe by focusing on all those other areas on making sure that your diet is it's overall getting those iron-rich foods in is really key for most people. Some people, of course, will still have issues, but it's really important to not you know, lose sight of the fact that food is not, you can't just reduce food to being red meat for iron, cow's milk for calcium, which is so often that reductive view of nutrition, which fails to look at the fact that food comes in a package. When you eat a steak, it doesn't just come with heme iron. or oh, great, it's got lots of heme iron. It also has lots of saturated fat, there are harmful impacts of too much heme iron as well. It's linked to an increased potential increase in certain cancers, in type two diabetes, and stroke risk. So it's not without. It's not just like the more iron the better. That's just not true, and and it's not a help you know helpful way of looking at things. So you have to understand that yeah, food is not can't just be viewed in isolation like that. And that red meat, that red that steak, doesn't have any fiber. Whereas if you were to have instead a bowl of beans, you would be getting. Unsaturated fats, plant protein, absolutely tons of fiber, you know, probably about 16 grams of fiber and a cup of black beans. And all those other nutrients, the calcium, magnesium, potassium, there's so many other micronutrients that we don't even talk about. Most people don't even realize that there are thousands of micronutrients. We just maybe know calcium, iron, a few that we just talk about, but wild foods are bursting with all the bones and actually when it comes to things like, say, even bone health, it's not just about calcium. It's a team game. You don't just need the calcium. You need to have adequate vitamin D. You need to be getting enough manganese. You need to be getting enough of these micronutrients that probably fail to get a mention in most
0: conversations. And then there's a symphonic effect, as you said, like when one's Literally. consuming iron-rich foods, if you have vitamin C with it, it, it compounds. And similarly, when one is eating a diverse whole plant-based diet, there's huge amount of different nutrients and phytochemicals that many that even science hasn't discovered now that are working in positive ways to benefit one's health.
1: Totally. I will say that anyone who's trying to get pregnant who is pregnant. I'd recommend that they take prenatal or you know a supplement that contains some iron. And usually this gets screened in pregnancy anyway, because most people going through pregnancy, many people going through pregnancy will have iron deficiency. But this is something through a GP to help with. And it, will, it would get picked up. But yeah, it make even more. it's even
0: more important to eat those iron-rich foods at that time. That, that's mm-hmm. interesting because my wife is 38 weeks pregnant. She's plant-based and she um, she takes a pregnancy supplement every day. And I wondered, is the calcium in iron? You said to kind of take a calcium supplement separate to an iron one. I wonder in a pregnancy supplement, are they both together? And does that inhibit absorption? Yeah. It's
1: just so a in a supplement, it wouldn't be super high doses. We know that it it can be a problem if there's really you're taking like really high doses of calcium, for example, a thousand milligrams to two thousand milligrams. That's not really the case in a pregnancy supplement. So there's no real issue. But this is more that's more for people taking these really high doses. No one should be taking really high doses of nutritional supplements without speaking to their doctor or a health professional because it's they are not without their risk. Every every week I see someone who is taking who's on about 20 different supplements. And they think that, that they're really healthy because you walk into any kind of um, store and you'll see, you know, supplements for healthy skin, the hair and nails supplements, the perimenopause supplements, the PMS. And you think, oh, I've got that, I've got that. I want healthy hair, I want this. So you end up spending all that money in your supplements. And uh, unfortunately, I still see people where they say, I can't really afford this many fruits and vegetables, but they're spending maybe a hundred, hundred twenty pounds a month on supplements. Wow. And so I get them to pair that back. And in fact, there are supplements that all of us should be considering. And there are nutrients that everyone should be aware of on a plant based diet, the same way that clients of mine who are omnivores, there are nutrients they need to be aware of. You know, if we lived in a plant based society in Ireland, in the UK, we would have B12 fortified food, but we don't. We have food that's fortified with um, folic acid because a lot of Whereas, which which actually dietary folate is abundant in a lot of plant based foods because we don't have a plant based society. So, the nutrients that are lacking in an honorable diet tend to be fortified here um, in flour and bread and things. So, it's just a good way of looking at it because, you know, I don't really care if something is natural or not. I, I want myself, I want my family, my friends, and my clients to be the healthiest versions of themselves nothing that we're doing right now as a society is natural most of us wouldn't even be alive right now if we were just left to the wolves and you know we have to make the most of modern medicine but also be sensible and i personally don't mind taking a b12 supplement if it's going to help prevent me from going to see my dad with spinal cord damage because that's what happens when you don't when you don't take um b12 and you are at risk of that you know not everyone will end up having that kind of um spinal cordage but some people do and it's very serious and all of these things can be preventable just from taking simple supplements the key things on a plant-based diet is obviously b12 so 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 important and you just need 10 micrograms a day i recommend slightly more if you're older i'd say about fifty micrograms if you're over the age of 55 60 and and vitamin D, everyone in the UK is advised to take vitamin D from September to early April. If you've got darker skin like myself, I take it all year round. If you've got PCOS or something like I do, then or other conditions, then you're advised to take it. If you're living in a larger body, you may need more vitamin D. And um, iodine is another one because iodine, we do not iodize our salt here in the UK. So iodine is something that's worth considering, 100, 115 micrograms of potassium iodide. And then selenium, I get that from Brazil nuts. I have one or two Brazil nuts every day. That's a, a quick way of getting it. And you also can find selenium in some other foods as well, like whole grain oats. And, and, you know, I love Irish oats and they have a lot more nutrients than your kind of typical rolled oats. So there's pinhead oats and those are the, the best ones to get. They're really packed with nutrients. Those are really kind of the key nutrients um, that you want to make sure that you're getting enough of and that there's yeah everyone is different some people might need additional things it's just not like what kind
0: of getting individual wise if you need it. You are a font of knowledge like you (laughs) really really are oh my goodness wow it's incredible Um, you mentioned earlier about like you know when I was talking about iron and red meat you mentioned another potential myth which is you know bandied around which is oh I've got I'm low in calcium oh I need lots of milk and like cheese and things you know that's another myth could you talk about calcium and bone health and, you know, what is your experience with it as a nutritionist and, and mm-hmm. that it's not just the calcium one takes off and one has to exercise no, no, to, no, to encourage. I'm just checking didn't that point I you, Steve. <laughs> I was just You're checking
1: angry, it. you yeah. You and I do you, you guys already know all of this, yeah. <laughs> and so calcium is such an important nutrient and it's found in kind of the roots of plants so and we get it from, from plants and, um, Obviously, most people, if you say to them, calcium, they'll think of cow's milk and dairy, whereas we know that comes with lots of other things that we don't necessarily want. You can get calcium in a variety of different plant foods. Some of my favorite sources are things like oranges and white beans, like Camarini beans, greens, particularly bok choy and kale. Those are great sources. and It's, it's also found on things like figs and almonds and fortified orange juice. But I do recommend every single person who's following a plant-based diet should get some calcium-fortified foods in. So for example, tofu or farm milk, like soya milk is a great source of calcium. In in England, I'm not sure if this is the same in Ireland, but they do not add calcium to organic soya milk and things like that. So I just buy the regular version and um, of soy milk, pea milk, or whatever you're buying. And it, it tends to, if it's got calcium in it, it will say it in the ingredients list. And that's because in the UK, the RDA, that means the recommendation is for adults to get about 700 milligrams of calcium in. That is not difficult to do if you're eating enough calories and you're eating a varied diet. But if you eat just and a third of a pack of tofu, one of these brands which I do not work with, is called cauldron tofu. It's very popular and it's um, organic. It's calcium fortified or calcium set. Just a third of that packet contains uh, over half of your uh, the recommendation for calcium in a day. So you don't even think about that. I mean, I eat an entire block of tofu half a pack is probably like a modest amount for a lot of people. So just having that, it gives you over half. And then think about things like a cup of soy milk will give you about 200 milligrams of calcium. So it quickly adds up to 700 milligrams. Different nutrition and dietetic organizations over the, around the world have different requirements, which does make it confusing. So in the USA, the recommendation is a thousand milligrams. And it is hard to know why that is, because we know that you know the influence of the dairy lobby is really strong there, and that influences how much calcium they recommend people to get. But we know from the Epic Oxford study that getting at least seven hundred milligrams of calcium is advisable, and that below levels below that tended to show a higher risk of fracture. There was also a lot of other factors to consider there, but I would suggest everyone aims for that. That might sound complex, but if you get, um, you know, half half a pack of um calcium set tofu. A cup of calcium fortified soy milk, and then a variety of other plant foods like greens and the white beans and oranges and things, you're going to be set with your calcium. I do not stress about calcium at all. Um, but that's just something I want to emphasize. When you are breastfeeding, the requirements for calcium do go up a bit because there's such a demand on the body. So you want to be making sure that you're having lots of kind of dried fruit and nut snacks, lots of maybe warm turmeric lattes with soy milk, you know, all of that good stuff in there. And so that's just something I really want to emphasize, but calcium does not equal bone health. Calcium is one important nutrient, but it's not the only important nutrient. And I, as I said, like vitamin D is super important and um, for bone health. We know that it's not just about the diet though, it's about the overall lifestyle. So yes, we want to make sure that you've got adequate nutritional intake from ideally a lot of these whole plant foods. But we know from the epic Oxford study that strength training is protective. We know that having an adequate and a an BMI that isn't too low is protective. You know, being very, very underweight or underweight is, is actually carries health risks the same way as it does. carrying a lot of excess weight, a lot of people don't know that. They think the thinner the better, but that's not the case. You know, you can be lean but carrying a lot of muscle. So that's what we want. We want to. We really want to kind of influence body composition in a healthy way, so not try to kind of diet down to nothing, but actually strength train, resistance train, and when you build those muscles, that is an incredible sink for glucose. It helps with glucose regulation, so blood sugar regulation. It helps with bone building. It helps with and you know performance. It helps with libido. It helps with and more energy, longevity, everything. So. Yeah, definitely, and that's really key in the perimenopause and menopause because we do consistently lose that muscle mass as we age. After the age of thirty, the rate of muscle mass is between three to eight percent, depending on our lifestyle. So you want to be making sure that you are doing some form of strength training and um, things like you know Pilates, lifting weights in the gym, and using a weighted chest vest and kind of weights when you're going for walks. So there's lots of different ways that I kind of. Um, there's lots of different methods that I talk about with my clients that so that's just something I want to emphasize. But yeah, calcium, you, you can get all the calcium you need from plants. You don't
0: need to go and drink calcium. That's an interesting one because our our good friend Harold, he'll often motivate us. Like he he has a um, a calisthenic gym in his garden. Like it's like an adult playground. And he'll often text us going, um, you know men after 40 lose lots of muscle mask and that'll be his text saying jim at six o'clock or whatever and that'll be his motivation you know that'll be the only way he'll get us up it's kind of going oh okay right i'll come Harold." You know, <laughs> like it's gas <laughs> it's really you know it's just using that leverage that realizing that muscle mask is a reality whether whatever your gender is um Socially, yeah.
1: i can't yeah i can't emphasize that enough That really with people just saying oh well, i'll just optimize my diet but it's it's everything and even getting adequate sleep that's an impact you know even If all of this stuff even stress management plays a role in bone health all of it has an impact but yeah the i say the two strongest levers are getting kind of yeah adequate nutrient intake and then strength training you just want to yeah really work on that and starting at a younger age because your bone mass density kind of peaks in your early 20s so you really want to be starting it when you're a child so when you're a kid you know being as active as possible not just doing only cardio but using body weight exercises and things like that. So yeah, I wish I'd been more active as a child, um, but I, it's never too late. And I really want to emphasize that you can start lifting
0: weights at any age and it's it can be really rewarding as well, really mood boosting. Okay. One thing I want to talk to you now about is, so we've been eating a plant-based diet for more than 20 years and we've never kind of like, you know, you hear like, and you're amazing with the numbers. You can remember how much calcium you need and how much B12 you need and how much iron you need (laughs) and all this. And I've never, I've never been good with those things, but I've always focused on just eating a variety, eating lots of food and focusing on whole plant foods and like listening to my body. And I've never kind of focused on the minerals. And it's it's worked with me so far. Like I've never kind of gone, oh, geez, did I eat enough c- tofu or did I eat enough this to get my calcium or how am I doing with iron? Because I think that would make me stressed. And I just wondered, is that like, is, as an overarching rule, like obviously everyone's bodies is different, but, you know, is that a reasonable strategy to adopt that if you're eating, you know, lots of plant-based foods, beans and whole grains. That's and a, variety a diversity. Of, a diversity of fruits and vegetables and beans and legumes and whole grains, like is that probably enough you know with supplementing with as you're saying like if you're eating a plant-based diet you want to supplement B12 and um D12 D3 and maybe selenium or or iodine um like these are ones which you could supplement but like as a just to think of big you know big accessible things cuz Sometimes nutrition by numbers would stress lots of people out. And I could imagine kind of go, Oh, oh my definitely. god, do I get enough calcium? I don't know if I get the seven hundred. Oh, let me know. get my calculator out and just imagine- I get enough. I gotta weigh <laughs> it out and then, then you're you know, then it can become stressful and the stress will inhibit the bone health even if you're getting enough calcium anyway. And inhibit sleep.
1: But not agree more and it's a, a, so I love science. I read scientific papers every day about nutrition. This is what I do, it's my passion. I it's my job to make sure that I'm up to date with the latest science, the latest research. I work to influence health professionals and one of the organizations that I do outside of my own private practice is called Plant-Based Health Professionals and I've worked to help you know thousands of people who are GPs, dietitians, nutritionists, nurses improve their understanding of plant-based diet. So, they can influence the lives of their patients because, you know, an average doctor might see 4,000 patients a year. And we know everyone always says, you know, doctor knows best. So, that is a really powerful way of influencing change. And I need to lead with the science with them. With my clients, I absolutely do not go into these levels of numbers unless it's something where they've had an issue and they need to be a bit more on top of it. But generally, that's not an intuitive way of eating. It's very stressful. It's not joyful. For me, food has to be joyful. It has to be something that i look forward to i love my food and if i'm thinking sitting there with a calculator as you said or my fitness pal or something that just take all the joy away so you actually do not need to count in that way it can be helpful when someone's first starting on their journey a bit to understand portions a little bit like oh okay i should get a cup of soy milk in with my breakfast maybe a tablespoon of flax so that they know how to build their meals more or less because sometimes when you're just eating out in the UK, they will just take away the meat and you're left with a plate of vegetables. It's getting better now, but it still can be really difficult for people who are coming from a standard meat and two-veg diet. They take out the meat, the chicken or the fish from that plate, and they are left with some veggies or a salad, and it's not filling them up. So they end up going, oh, this vegan lifestyle can't do it, not for me. So it's really important that you understand a little bit about nutrition and with my clients i always say to them i you are the expert you know your body best i'm here to guide you but it's very important on this kind of this this journey that you're on to understand more about nutrition because if you don't really understand anything about food it is difficult to know okay just i need to add some more plant protein in here just being a bit you can be intuitive while still being aware or a little bit more aware of nutrition and that's kind of where i think the sweet spot is and i know both of you kind of that as well because whilst you're not even thinking about it in that way because it's second nature to you now for 20 years when you put a meal together you'll make maybe a big bean chili but you'll also have some brown rice with it and maybe a handful of rocket leaves or you know um, a handful of parsley or coriander you're just doing it intuitively you might squeeze some lemon or lime to make flavors first but that is going to help you with that iron absorption actually that comes like second nature to you, but to someone else that's really new to them so they need to understand a little bit why they're doing it and that can be motivating but yeah, if you're eating a variety, a diversity of whole plant foods, mostly whole plant foods, there's some wiggle room, you know. And I don't think everything needs to be 100% whole plant foods. There is there is room for fun foods for, for meals out, for um, you know the sl- slice of cake that you want or whatever. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. That's just not a healthy. I don't like that, that help all or nothing approach. And there's there's no nutritional paper that says you need to do something 100% ever. So that's, yeah, that's not the kind of way that I practice, but I totally agree with you. And um, and I don't want anyone to be listening to this and getting worried thinking, oh no, am I getting enough? If, it's just making a simple swap. Maybe you've been buying a plant-based milk that doesn't have any calcium added to it. Maybe you can just make that switch next time. Or if you're currently having breakfast cereal every morning, maybe you can make the switch to pinhead oats. You know, it's just those little sw- swaps for people make it a lot easier. So I do give those practical tips because sometimes people don't know where to start and they, they think they're eating a really healthy diet. They come to me and they go, yeah, and really, I have a salmon salad for lunch. You know, I had a Greek yogurt for breakfast. And, and then I say to them, where's the fiber? Where's, you know, where's the diversity of plants? So sometimes people don't necessarily know what is healthy and what's
0: not as healthy. Very, very true. And um, I'd love to... Uh, I, no, okay. I, I got one that I'm excited <laughs> about. Um, so we have a farm and having had a veg shop for close to 20 years now, I've seen a huge variety of different produce. Say, for example, spinach imported from Italy in winter, grown non-organically in soil that's been sprayed with fertiliser, pesticides, herbicides, is quite different to spinach grown in season in soil that has been focused on having a broad spectrum diversity of microorganisms. So it's, it's had to you know, fight and resist and develop these phytochemicals so that, so that it's rich and it's rich in nutrients. And I just wonder on that topic, like, you know, food often is reduced to kale. It's just kale. But like kale grown in season, grown locally, grown in healthy soil is very different to kale sprayed with X, Y, Z, in thing. And I know I'm getting down to more more, you know, microscopic level of health, but I wonder if you could talk briefly about organic versus non-organic and the importance of not only the, your food, but it's the quality of the environment that your food is produced in.
1: I, you know, I totally agree. I wish, you know, we all had access to that, like your amazing farm and these kinds of vegetables and fruits. And I think I really urge people if they can, you know, get involved with local community veg box schemes or other things like that. There's a great one in London by Hacking Farms. You know, there are things like that that you can support. And I think, um, the way that we produce food, how we eat. These are all just as important as the actual food itself, and nutrient quality can be heavily compromised by shipping and um, shipping times, flying them over, freezing them first. There's lots of different things like that that have to be in, like come into consideration. I will say, however, that sometimes I see people get so stressed about these things, and they get so upset because they can't afford organic food. Obviously, we're in a cost of living crisis in the UK, and I wish. Organic fruits and vegetables. I wish all plant based food was the cheapest food because it should be. We shouldn't be subsidizing meat and dairy in the UK. We should be having fruits and vegetables that everyone everyone should be able to access a healthy, nutritious diet. And there are lots of socioeconomic barriers to being able to afford this or even access this information that you're talking about. A lot of people aren't even aware of some of these things. Um, so I wish that that was the case firstly. I think if you're able to, then that's fantastic, and you should definitely support all of these things. However, with many of my clients, I just say to them, please just eat the fruits and vegetables. Some of them think, I can't afford organic, so I'm just gonna have a burger. I've actually had people say this, where they're like, I can't afford this, so I'm gonna have you know, just a burger and some chips. I'm gonna have this. They end up thinking, again, that all or nothing thing, I can't afford all organic, so I'm just gonna give up. I don't think it should be a source of shame for anyone. i do really wish that we could support more and yeah plant-based farmers more organic food i do wish that we had and yeah more but more awareness on how our food is where it and where it comes from and it can be really hard if you live in a city like i do like london to be in touch with your food a lot of people are not so i suggest kind of getting involved in your community, maybe there's a lot that you can volunteer at. Even growing herbs on your windowsill is one place to start. I know it's just a tiny thing, but understanding the labor that goes into producing food will lead to a lot less food wastage as well. I think it's that disconnect, and that's that disconnect that comes into the reason why so many people don't question the meat, the dairy, the foods that come on their plate, and obviously ultra-processed food and is responsible. 56.8% of the food that we eat in the UK is ultra-processed food. Wow. And it's really st- staggering. Less than one in five children eat um, uh, five fruits and vegetables a day. So it's a pretty dire situation. And yeah, only less than one in 10 adults in the UK meets the fiber recommendation, which is the mere 30 grams a day. I think I get about 60, 70 grams of fiber a day. So even Harper, good that overachieving like,
0: Rohini. good <laughs> overachieving.
1: <laughs> yeah, God, really amazing stats coming like out with all these, uh, you, say the,
0: you say those stats again? That was fifty-six point eight percent of 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 the average person in the UK intake. is ultra-processed food. Yeah. And then what did you say about fiber? Just, one in t- one in ten is less
1: one in just ten just adults. The- yeah, the average fiber intake, in the UK, I think, is about seventeen grams. Yeah. The average fiber intake. I mean, I. You can hit that in a plant-based breakfast without even really trying, you know, in a bowl of oats with a tablespoon of flax and some raspberries. I mean, raspberries are the most fibre-rich fruit, by the way. Wow, um, are they? you didn't hit that. So I think it's 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 disastrous. We know that these poor dietary risk factors are responsible for thirty-one percent of early death in in um. Western Europe. So, 31% of premature death is due to these dietary risk factors: inadequate fruit intake, inadequate vegetable intake. So, yeah, that's that's almost one in three deaths could be prevented by changing our diets. That is absolutely staggering, and not to mention the impact on the environment. You already talked about kind of your your um all the work that you're doing about kind of organic fruit and vegetable farming, and something you're really passionate about is eating more local and seasonal. Well, you know, we know that animal agriculture is, is responsible for fourteen point five percent of all greenhouse gas emissions. And again, it's that's just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. It's it, the the impact is way more wide ranging, wide ranging than that, um, and it has a detrimental aspect on the de- detrimental impact on every aspect of our food environment and of our general environment. So, I think uh, for people who would like to know more about that? Then we know that you know a 2016 study by Oxford University showed that the single most impactful thing an individual can do is to re- remove and um, meat and dairy from their diet. Now, I didn't want that to be all about the onus on the individual. I do a lot to try to encourage that system change. I do believe in stopping government subsidies for meat and dairy, and you know, encouraging more um, awareness about the food and where it comes from. Making sure fruits and vegetables are more accessible. I've done. I've being part of a campaign to get plant-based milks into schools uh, changing hospital food and getting bacon off the menu so i'm really passionate about all of those areas but i do think as individuals many people want to know where they can make change and this is definitely one thing you can do even just switching out as little as you know a few servings a week of your animal-based foods for plant protein and working from there Amazing. Yeah, it's a brilliant. Can I
0: ask one final question and I'll make sure. it kind of quick. It was really in terms of, so, okay. So as an individual, adopting a plant based or plant predominant diet is great for the personal health. It's great for the planetary health. It's great for the animals as well. You know, there's lots of benefits to it. What could you give a few quick tips to anyone listening going, okay, I'm game for this. It comes down to behavioral change because the environment, as you said, you know, uh, 58.6% of the average person's diet in the UK and probably in a lot of European countries and US countries is ultra processed food. So the environment is set up for us to eat more junk food. As an individual, what are some behavioral changes we can do or that you recommend to your patients on on a weekly, daily basis that you find are quite effective for someone to eat more plants?
1: Oh, that's such a you know such a great tip. I would say firstly, really figure out your why. If you don't know why you're doing something, it's impossible to make it stick. So it might be for your health. Maybe you also maybe you also have polycystic ovary syndrome like me, or you have diabetes, or you have um, uh, you know, a family history of something that's really motivating for you, but also try and motivate out of a place of positivity. So maybe you want to have more energy to play. With your dog, or take that hike, or achieve other goals rather than just making it about an aesthetic goal. So, I'd say, personally, know your why. And a lot of people are motivated by environmental reasons, animal welfare reasons, all of these things are really key. Um, And then start slow, kind of, um, and say, go low and start slow. So, start with simple changes. Some people can dive right in, and that is amazing. But for most of us, it's just swapping out things that we already like. So, if you already have you know, um, a cow's milk in your breakfast and swap to soy milk. And maybe instead of having a breakfast cereal, go for those pinhead oats or a tofu scramble with avocado rather than raw and um, scrambled eggs. So just swapping things out. And if you love it, uh, chicken fajitas, try bean fajitas, and obviously, there are so many recipes online. I share loads of recipes on my website. Obviously, Happy Fair, your app, or your cookbooks. And you guys have loads of free recipes as well for people who can't, you don't want to spend or can't afford it. And I think just, yeah, make the most of everything that's out there. Look for meals that you already enjoy as well. Maybe you have some kind of comfort foods that you love, like spaghetti bolognese or um, the, the cultural foods that you love. You can find plant based versions of those. And get into cooking, I think it's the number one skill that everyone should know, regardless of their gender. And again, there's so many barriers to that. I do a lot of volunteer work with an organization called Maiden Hackney, which is trying to kind of cook with skills and things. So just getting more into cooking, maybe get your friends over. Instead of getting out for a meal, invite your friends over. Maybe they bring ingredients and you cook food while they chat and lay the table. You know, those sorts of things can really help. And just those simple swaps, instead of buying kind of a shop walk apple crumble maybe squeeze some fruit and do a simple oat topping instead of having biscuits with your tea in the afternoon have a handful of nuts and instead of buying kind of shop-bought sauces or ready meals then batch cook in larger amounts and freeze some or refrigerate some and don't buy things with loads of added sweeteners and sugars because your palate really does get affected by that And Kind of a simple thing that you can do is just chop up some fruit or chop up a date and add that to yogurt, like plant-based yogurt, rather than buying the flavored versions. Um, those tips can be really, really handy. But it's that it was sport for choice with the number of recipes that are out there. If you feel a bit kind of despondent because you were someone that you loved a steak or you loved chicken parmigiana or whatever it is. And then go for foods that are totally out of your culture. And I know you both love Indian food. You love food from all over the world. I think a lot of people will be in a similar position. They just maybe not being exposed to those flavors. So just try and you know experiment. There are so many plant based dishes to choose from. And I do think it is helpful to take your time to transition. As much as I would love everyone to make a change overnight, your gut microbiome takes time to adapt to the increase in fiber. And I actually have. If anyone wants my fact sheet on bloating, then just type in my name and bloating. It comes up. I have a whole fact sheet about how to reduce bloating when you're eating beans and lentils. Because if you're very gassy, it might make dating quite tough. <laughs> Living, they <laughs> yeah. quite tough. So yeah, unless they're very understanding, so you can. There are actually lots of ways that you can get around that, and I think and that that shouldn't put you off it does get a lot better and building up the amount of fiber you're eating is beneficial obviously if you're already eating quite a lot of plant-based foods then it's going to be a lot easier to make the change but if you're it depends where you're starting from it depends if you have any other health issues if you're on other medications so and but yeah just don't don't give up and if it's still if you're not kind of seeing the results that you hope for or you're not feeling great then consider working with a nutritional professional a lot of people give up and then maybe getting the wrong advice. And but yeah, you you can I haven't come across anyone personally in my clinical practice who haven't been able to be plant-based. You see lots of YouTubers, lots of different people. There are lots of reasons why people might not want to be plant-based or and then maybe some very rare health reasons which make might make it challenging. For example, if someone's got kind of an allergy to chickpeas, nuts, soya, sometimes you do see people with these really extreme allergies. but that is the that's the exception, not the norm. That's not the norm. So let's, let's just remember that all of us can thrive on a plant-based diet um, with a few key supplements. And it doesn't need to be as complicated as, it, um, you know, sometimes maybe I made it sound in this. It, I am a nutritionist, so I always lead with that kind of evidence-based information. But you do not need to become a nutritionist to have a healthy plant-based diet. You do not need to sit there for hours planning things out or using my fitness power you can eat and shoot, intuitively and joyfully and also within a budget
0: as well Amazing You're so brilliant Rainy. You really yeah, we I feel, love I feel you like, so like much. I've You're barely brilliant. scratched the surface of what I wanted to cover with you I wanted to get into PCOS I wanted to get into all that. <laughs> and you, Yeah we had yeah. a long list of things to go through but that was it really is amazing Amazing Thank You're you are wonderful And for anyone listening who wants to learn more about you know maybe they your want book. To, your book your PCOS book or wants to you know wants to even go book an, this, book an appointment with you, where you can get one. a 15 minute free appointment on your website which that's pretty cool
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. And I have bi weekly and uh, sorry, newsletters that go out. So my newsletters have a free recipe, they have loads of different health tips. Um, I just try and make it really simple for people. I also share about you know what I'm doing. So I'm always learning. I think that there's no you never have all the answers. That's why I love nutritional science, because we are constantly learning, we're constantly exploring new areas. Um, uh, it's something I'm really passionate about. But yeah, if anyone wants to DM me on Instagram or um, you know be in touch, then my website is BuhiniforJayco.com, just my name. And my book is Living PCRs Free. And again, it has over 30 plant based recipes in there, but loads of different tips if you're struggling with your hormonal health. You don't have to have polycystic ovary syndrome to read the book. It's really helpful for anyone who's struggling with hormonal health or trying to avoid developing some
0: chronic health conditions or reducing your risk, I should say. Amazing. rainy you're brilliant. Thank you so much Thank you, you thank you,
1: thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. And it was, yeah, and honestly, it's an absolute honour. I've listened to your podcast for years and I always love listening to it, especially when I'm going out for a walk or when I'm cooking a breakfast meal. You both, such, you both have such positive energy. And I've learned a lot as well about things outside of nutrition, about other areas of lifestyle medicine, about finding purpose, about you know, soil quality, all of these great topics that often I think um we don't get don't get enough air time. So hopefully people can go back and listen to those podcasts, those older episodes as well, because
0: they're really great. Oh, thanks great. a million. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> You're a star.